All right, Daniel 11. We're going to start with reading verse 32. I just love this spring, springboarding from this verse uh, because it really emphasizes how that, uh, that when we know our God, that it gives us strength and it enables us to carry out great works or exploits for the Lord. And that's what the Lord says there in Daniel 11, the latter part of verse 32. But the people who know their God shall be strong. You know, that, that's, a, that's a promise. The people that know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits and great works. So if we are not strong and we're not doing great works for God, we have to go back and say, how well do we know our God? Because a deeper understanding of who God is, a deeper knowledge of Him, and a deeper intimate relationship with Him will always lead to us being stronger and us doing greater things for our God. When you know Him very well, it strengthens you, empowers you to do great things for Him. You want to do great things for the Lord because of what you know of Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your help as we uh, get into uh, this message today. I pray that it would uh, be very beneficial for your people. Uh, Lord, help us to have a deeper understanding of you, of who you are. Father, help us, Lord, to see you more clearly today. May this message be used to strengthen your people, strengthen their faith, encourage them, challenge them, equip them, Lord, to go out and to want to do uh, great things for you, their great God. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Most surely we'll do greater things for God, the greater we see that He is. And that's somewhat what we just said, uh, but in a little different way. I want us to be strong in a Christian faith. I want us to be strong Christians. I mean, a pastor most certainly should want that the people he is ministering to, the people he's teaching, uh, the sheep at, at, at the church, uh, one thing he definitely wants for them is for them to be strong in the faith. He wants them to be strong Christians. Um, and we need practical lessons on those things in regards to how to live and all of that, and we, and we do that. Uh, but it begins with a strong foundational understanding of who God is. It must be built upon that. We need to have a, a pure knowledge of God, not that we can know God completely, but what we do know of Him needs to be pure in accordance to the Word of God. If we want to be strong in the Christian faith then uh, and do the works of God, the works that God would have us to do, then we need to have a good understanding of who He is. You know, sometimes we can get very involved in something and in a certain work and only come to realize that that work actually goes against the very nature of who God is. When we have an understanding of who God is, a knowledge of who He is, then uh, the works that will come out of that knowledge will be the kind of works that God would approve of, will be the works of God. And so we need an understanding of who God is. Some works you can look at that are done in the name of Jesus, you can obviously see they're not the works of God because they do not go in line with the Word of God and who God says He is in the Word. We must know Him if we want to do for Him. So we would need to do works for God, absolutely. We must do works for God, but it must be built upon the knowledge of who God is. We must know Him more intimately as well. 
If the people that do know their God shall be strong, then let all of our strength come uh, from us, be from seeking Him and knowing Him more in our life. We need to be strong. We need to be strong and because we face wicked times. We face perilous times. And who knows what kind of times we're going to face in the future. We do not know. And so what we need now more than ever is an understanding of who God is, a faith in who God is, a reality of who God is. Because the people that do know their God shall be strong, and they will do great works no matter what's going on in the world. No matter how bad the world is, we as God's people can do great works for Him when we know Him because He will give us His strength. We began in our last lesson to consider God's attributes, and we considered, uh, first of all, how God is self-existent, God is immutable, and God is sovereign. Now, we break down these attributes and we talk about them, and in doing so, looking at these individual character traits of the Lord, uh, we need to understand this, that all of His attributes are linked together. They are, we just kind of focus on certain aspects of God. Uh, we're not trying to divide God, but we're trying to consider God in various attributes. But none of those attributes that we speak of in regards to God, none of them ever contradict one another. So we might talk about the holiness of God for a while, and you might start thinking, well, what about the love of God or the justice of God? They don't conflict. Whatever the Word of God teaches about each and every attribute of God, they never conflict with one another. God is love, the Bible says that, and God is also holy. So God does not love unholiness. God is sovereign. But yet God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is merciful. And yet we know the word, the word of God teaches that God is just at the same time. God never denies His justice to have mercy. He's made a provision for mercy through Christ. We may consider God's character traits individually, but as stated, uh, in, in, even in our last lesson, or on our one lesson on the nature of God, God is one. We're not dividing God. We may consider them individually, but none of them stand alone. And I think that when you only focus on one attribute of God continually, you actually get a view of God that is not scriptural. Now sometimes people can focus. We've seen it happen with people that all they ever want to talk about is God is love, and what happens is they actually get a false view of God. I've seen people that all they want to talk about is that God is sovereign, and that's all they ever talked about. And you know what? they got a false view of God, too. It happens both ways. We don't want to go on both sides of the ditch. We want to believe in all of who God is. God is sovereign, and God is love, and God is patient, and God is justice, and God is wrath. He is all of those things. To take any aspect or attribute of God and say, I don't like that one, I don't want to think about that one, then you don't want a pure knowledge of who God is. I want to know all of God, all of who God is, he, we need to trust in all that God is. And so we need to understand that. And so looking at Him individually, we're not ignoring the others. And, and one, so we need to understand that. Now let's go on to our the next attribute we want to cover this morning is that God is holy. God is holy. Uh, we cannot grasp our minds around this, but uh, let's seek for a moment to meditate upon it. In Psalm 70, or Psalms 99 and verse 9, Again, the scriptures in bold what we'll turn to. In Psalm 99, 9, 
says, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. Why should you exalt God? Why should you worship God? For the Lord our God is holy. We can't lose sight of that. And sometimes we can lose sight of that. Holiness of God is very important. The more we realize how holy God is, the more I think it changes us. Uh, We are taught in the Word of God, God references Himself in in Peter when He says uh, that I am holy. God says that. He says, I am holy. And He says what? Therefore be you holy. So based upon the nature of God and who God is, he, He calls us to holiness. So we want to understand what holiness living is. Then we need an understanding of the holiness of God. Because the holiness we need to have in our life needs to come from the holiness of who God is. A lot of times people deem things as holiness that the scriptures do not teach. Sometimes Christianity deems things as holiness that's not in the Bible. They they think some things are holiness that the word of God does not declare. If we want to grasp what real holiness is, we need to see what the Bible says about God and who He is and what He says is holy. Now, the holiness of God is His perfect moral and spiritual excellence. God is perfectly pure. And only God is perfectly pure. He is sinless. God is righteous in and of Himself. We have a righteousness, but it's of Christ. He has a righteousness of Himself. God alone is completely holy and pure and sinless. You know, it helps you to understand this because so many times with what we see in our world that is wrong, so many things we see that are not holy, so many ungodly, unholy things, and then we have this knowledge of God that, well, God is real, and we wonder, well, why is all this going on? Well, we need to rest in one thing for sure is that God is not pleased with the unholiness because God is holy. And one day God is going to take care of all of that. God is the source of all true holiness. All holiness comes forth from Him. He is holy. Just as all true love comes from God, all true holiness comes from God. And we are called to be holy as well. But any holiness we have comes from a knowledge of Him, comes from a relationship with Him, comes from the power of Him that dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. I like what Webster said about uh, this word uh, holy. He said properly whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense. Hence, pure in heart, temper, or dispositions, free from sin, and sinful affections. We're not there yet, folks. (laughs) We want to be, I hope, one of the signs that really will help you to know if you are a born-again child of God, you have the Holy Spirit within you, therefore there are these holy affections in you. doesn't mean that you don't ever struggle with sin, but do you know that you have these holy affections? And you want to be free, a desire to be free from sinful affections. That's one of the things that I desire most about about dying and going to be with the Lord 
forever is I will be completely holy. We shall see Him as He is and we shall be like Him. We'll be completely... That doesn't just... I'm not just looking forward to heaven so you won't ever have any physical pain. Now that's going to be great and wonderful. I'm looking forward to being like Him that I will be free from all sinful affections. I'm looking forward to that. No more struggles with unrighteousness. No more struggles with ungodliness. Completely holy. Again, that holiness will be from Him, but we will be holy. We won't have any temptations. Nothing ever defiled will ever enter into our mind again. Zero temptation ever to happen. I look forward to that. Wester goes on to say, he says, Applied to the supreme being, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate. He's the only immaculate, okay? and complete in moral character. And man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God. Well, people today don't write definitions like that, do they? And his life is regulated by the divine precepts. Very well stated, Webster. I'd like to shake your hand on that one day. I love that definition. It is in the light of God's holiness, first of all, that that the sinners see their sinfulness and their need to be forgiven and clothed with the righteousness of Christ. When you start proclaiming who God is, God is holy, God hates sin, God has no sin, God has no sin in Himself, He has no sinful thoughts, God is completely righteous, That's who God is. All of a sudden, you start seeing that as a lost sinner. Hopefully, you ought to be getting a little bit of self-awareness that you don't measure up. A little self-awareness. I'm not holy as God is holy. I'm not perfect as God is perfect. It's in a lot of God's holiness, as we said, as sinners see their sinfulness and their need to be forgiven and clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It was a clear view of God's holiness that also moved Isaiah to say, Here am I, Lord, send me. The holiness of God within the believer has a way as well to move us to service, to surrender. When you seem high and exalted and lifted up, there in Isaiah 6, they were shouting, Holy, holy, holy. And then Isaiah ends up saying, man, I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of unclean people. And he eventually says, here am I, Lord, send me. A willingness and a desire to to follow God, to be submissive to God, to obey God, took place in Isaiah's heart when Christ was exalted and seen as holy, holy, holy. So if we have that lack of desire of separation from the world and and want to serve God with every fiber of our being, we need to take a step back and say, do I really see God as holy? Do I really see Him all exalted? Holy, holy, holy. For if I can see Him like that, no doubt my heart will be like Isaiah's heart and say, Lord, send me. Lord, use me. I don't want this just to be a theological lesson on the holiness of God. That's not what this is about. 
It's not just so that we can check the boxes and say, oh yeah, check, I believe God is holy, I believe God is sovereign, I believe these things. If there's no, if there's no application, if there's no reality, if there's no effect that has upon our heart and our life, our faith, and what we do for God, it's just words. It needs to affect us, the holiness of God. It needs to affect how we think. It needs to affect our decisions. I think we've lost sight of that. We make more excuses for sin when we get away from the holiness of God. God is distinct and holy in all that He is and all that He does. 1 John 1, 5 declares this. says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. I love that. Listen, there is no fault in Him, for He does all things well. A view of God's holiness will move us to exalt Him, to worship Him, as it did the psalmist in Psalms 99.9, which declared, Exalt the Lord our God, worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Knowing this, knowing that God is holy, you know that God is good. Because it implies goodness. He is pure. And when you know this, it helps us as Christians whenever we see things that aren't good. We must remember God is good. God is holy. You know, all three persons in the Godhead are called holy. God the Father is called holy. Jesus is called holy. And of course, there's the Holy Spirit that's called holy. God's Word is called holy. His law is holy. And he tells his people that have the Holy Spirit to be holy. God is a holy God. And God demands holiness of all people. It's the holiness of God that seems to be what the beasts and, and the people and the elders around the throne that are in all of. I want to read that portion, if you would, in Revelation chapter 4. Just reflecting and meditating upon the holiness of God itself as a way of, of really making you think about not necessarily just about God Himself being holy, but about you know what's unholy. Should, we should ask some questions of ourselves as Christians. What's unholy in me right now that maybe my holy God, my holy Savior, wants to purge from my life? Revelations chapter four and verse eight. And what a scene this is. The four living creatures, each having six wings with, with full of eyes around them within. It's a, the scene is a little bit much like Isaiah 6 we referred to. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Wow. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Listen, when, when, you, when you get a grasp of the holiness of God, listen, it, it demolishes all self-praise. They take these crowns and they throw them at the feet of Jesus 
who is holy, holy, holy. How can we keep our crowns when we see the angels and, and all the elders just worshiping Him and saying, holy, 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 how can I hang on to my crown? What can I give Jesus? What have I got? Well, I'll give Him all I've got, all the glory He's given to me. I want to just give to Him. The rewards of, to me, I want to give to Him. It, it demolishes any sense of self-praise. Any Christian who's bragging on themselves and what they've accomplished has little or zero grasp of the holiness of our Almighty God. Verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy to receive glory, honor, power. Why? Because He's holy. And He says, for you created all things. He's our creator. And by your will, they exist and we're created. We're all dependent upon you. You're a holy God. You're our creator. And all things exist because of you. Folks, this is the God we need to proclaim more in our culture and our society. Listen, has our culture lost the idea that God is holy? Absolutely. We, we, can, we can do a lot of things and we can sign a lot of petitions and we can vote the right way and, and I'm not saying anything wrong with that. We need to do that. But we need to proclaim the holiness of God. He's holy. Far beyond our imaginations. Higher and exalted than we could ever dream. And He hates unrighteousness. He hates unholiness. It cannot defile Him. It does not enter Him. And I wonder what Christianity would look like in our world today if Christians were immersed in the knowledge and reality of God's holiness. Now some people think they've got a grasp on it and it's made them mean (laughs) and just legalistic. See, they have gotten off balance too. Folks, we need need all of God. See how important the attributes of God are and just the way we think about things? But if we really get a grasp of the holiness of God in the right way, what would we do then? How would it affect our life? What would it affect, how would it affect the decisions we make as Christians? How would it affect how we come into the house of God to worship this holy God? What kind of mindset would we come in here with? We wouldn't be gossiping, I know that. We wouldn't be looking to condemn others and their actions and and their life. We would be focused. What would our standards be? Well, they would be God's standards. How would we talk? I think if we lived in awareness of the holiness of God, we just might clean our mouths up a bit, right? I think we quit maybe using some of those words Christians have started using over the years they need to stop using. Which way would we lean in those gray areas, you know? A lot of times when people have gray areas, they lean always towards the black part of that gray area. <laughs> if it's a gray area and you really don't understand, maybe, I think I want to lean towards the white part of that gray. Folks, it just, when, we, when the holiness of God gets in our mind the right way, it will, it will affect every, everything that we think about, right and wrong, light and dark. 
we, as we grow in this holiness of God and knowledge of Him, we'll be stronger in the right kind of holiness. The right kind of holiness. I'm not talking about being legalistic. The right kind of what real holiness is. Purity of heart. What real holiness is in accordance to the Word of God. We'll be stronger in it. Not weaker. I preached too long. My screen went dead. I guess I transitioned quicker than that usually. Let's go on to the next one. The omnipresence of God. I like thinking about these together. Um, The omnipresence of God means that God is present at the same moment throughout His creation. God is everywhere at once. He is not bound by space or time. He is the omniscient or omnipresent spirit. However, the omnipresence of God may be considered in, in many different ways. In other words, God is not present everywhere in the same sense or the same way. We have His glorious presence in heaven where He manifests Himself to angels and the spirits of just uh, souls. Yet on the other hand, His powerful and providential presence is with us creatures here on earth. His gracious presence is with His elect. There's an obvious difference there in the Word of God. But His wrathful presence is in hell, inflicting, inflicting punishment upon the wicked. Solomon was moved by this glorious truth about God when at the dedication of God's house he said this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain you. I love that. How much less this house that I have built it. You know, we build something great for God, but we get all proud of ourselves, you know. And Solomon built the house of the Lord, and he says, God is much bigger than anything I can do. How can God dwell here? God, the heaven of heaven of heavens, cannot contain God. When we understand these attributes of God and meditate upon them, that they help us so much on a practical level in our relationship to Him. Uh, For instance, I know we've heard this before many times, but how foolish for us to seek to hide from God. I I like to to express the omnipresence of God to my children at a young age. All the time when I read the story of Jonah, here's a grown prophet man, okay? And he says he's going to run, says he's going to run from the presence of the Lord. (laughs) I mean, come on, Jonah, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? How can you run from the presence of God? The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Surely you know that, Jonah. But you, you, you can't run from the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth? Saith the Lord. He's like, anybody hide from me? Now you're starting to understand a little bit about how this should affect us and on, on certain levels. You cannot hide anything from the Lord. Husbands, you might hide it from your wives, you might hide it from your children, but you're not hiding it from the all-seeing, holy God. All will one day come to realize this on the day of judgment. Jesus said, For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. God knows it all. Unless we repent and turn from that sin, He's going to make it all known. We should live in such a way as Christians that God always sees us. 
when our family's not around, our children aren't around, the pastor's not around, we're not in church, we're just around other friends that, that maybe aren't Christians, we're around them, God is still there with us. We should live in such a way to know that God is always present. That should challenge us when we consider in connection with God as holy. God is present. God knows all. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But God is present in everything we do. God may not be pleased with everything we do, but God is present in everything we do. He is there. His Holy Spirit is with us. God is there with us. He sees that, every bit of that. All we see, He sees. All we seek to hear, He hears. God is omnipresent. And God sees all within. And when you take into consideration God's holiness, you take into consideration God's omnipresence, it will, should encourage us to turn from sin even more, even, even in the most secret of places of your heart. In the most secret places, that places of your heart where nobody else sees and nobody else knows about, other than God Himself. When we live in that reality, it changes what we will do, where we will go. It changes the way we think. If you're hiding sin, let the holiness of God and His presence overwhelm you and cause you to turn from that sin. Now, not only should the omnipresence of God challenge us to repent of sin, it should do that, but it should greatly encourage us in times of trials. The presence of God may convict you in times of sinfulness, but the presence of God also can very much encourage you in times of trouble and trial and heartache. One of my darkest times recently, in the passing of my mother in the middle of the night at 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm there all alone at hospice, and it's just me and her. An overwhelming sense of God being present. It should greatly encourage us in times of trials. Because you can spend a great deal of time just reading all the various passages where God comforted and encouraged His people with this one thought. He would say this over and over and over to the people of Israel. I, the Lord, your God, am with you. I'm with you. When He would challenge them to go be obedient, to conquer their enemies. When they were going through hardships and trials, oftentimes you'll find that phrase, the Lord's assuring presence, I, the Lord thy God, am with thee. Living in the reality of God's presence should give us great boldness for the work of God in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see how it should affect you spiritually? Listen, the omnipresence of God isn't, again, that just little box you check. Oh, yeah, I believe God is everywhere. What's the application? What's the meaning? How does trusting that and knowing that affect my life? Because it should. The Lord told Jeremiah, who was going to face people that wouldn't believe anything he would say, <laughs> said this to him, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Don't be afraid of them, Jeremiah. I'm with you. 
when we go out into this world and we proclaim the truth of the gospel, and we have to proclaim the judgment of God as well as Jeremiah did, we need to go in that reality, the Lord our God is with us, so that we do not fear the faces of men. To encourage Joshua to lead the children of Israel, the Lord told him, There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you, nor forsake you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like over in Hebrews, where the Lord tells us, as His people, that's not just a promise from Moses and Joshua, where the Lord tells His people, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Living in the reality of the promise of God and faith in that promise that no matter what trial you're going through, no matter what work you're doing for the Lord, the Lord will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will always be with you. Nothing can separate us from our God. So hopefully you understand how the, that the people that do know their God in relationship to His holiness and His omnipresence, the people that know their God shall be strong and do great works. They'll do strong, great works. God's holiness will define what kind of works we should do, and His presence should embolden us to do those great works. And lastly, we won't deal with it as long, but God is omniscient. <laughs> I just love these three traits of God, thinking about them together. And we could mix them, we can mix the other attributes of God up, you know, pull out three other ones, and look how they intermingle and work together. And we can come up with whole other applications and thoughts that, that will just help us in our faith. If you want to do that, go ahead. I mean, if you have three attributes of God, so we'll think about these three together. What, what, would this, what does this look like? The omniscience of God means that from all eternity, He has possessed all knowledge and wisdom. Did ever, I heard this saying once a long time ago, does it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? I love that saying. God alone knows everything there is to know. He knows everything about all things, past, present, and future. With God, there actually is a past, present, future, but for our little minds, we need to say it like that. God is perfectly acquainted with every creature on earth and in heaven. The knowledge of God is eternal. He knows everything as one event. It's all one in the, in the sight of God. I, I love this short declaration in, in Acts chapter uh, 15 and verse 18. It says, Known to God from eternity are all His works. I love that. God's knowledge is immutable. God is immutable, right? We consider that already. Well, God's knowledge is immutable. It's never increased. God never learned anything. As we said, it never has increased or decreased. God hasn't forgotten anything. God purposely does not call things to remembrance, but that doesn't mean He has forgotten them. God has never learned anything. He has always had knowledge of all things. Now knowing this about God, knowing that God knows all things, that there's, there's benefits to this in so many ways. But I love how it affected a repentant Peter. I love how it affected a repentant Peter. There in, in John chapter 21 and verse 17, you probably know uh, the dialogue there where, where, where Peter has, has denied the Lord and now he's with the Lord after he resurrected. And, and the Lord is asking him, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. 
Peter, do you love me? He asked again. Yeah, Lord, I, I love you. Peter, do you love me? <laughs> and, and Peter leans on the omniscience of the Savior. And he says, Lord, you know all things. And you know I love you. Listen, we've all experienced how the om omniscience of God has comforted us as God's people. If we've been a Christian for any time at all, and we have sinned against our Lord, and we have, then there's probably been times where those very words have comforted us because we have repented and wept bitterly over that sin. And we've turned to the Lord, and we've sought forgiveness, and we wanted comfort. And the Lord has comforted us many times with that reality that in spite of our failings, we've turned back to the Lord, and the Lord knows that we love Him. And He knows that. He knows today if you love Him. We can sing the song, Oh, I love Jesus, but He knows if we love Him. Hopefully that doesn't scare you. Hopefully, like Peter, it comforts you. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect, but I want to be perfect. I want to be holy. I don't want the sin. I don't want to fill the Lord. But I'm just so thankful that the Lord loves me. I know that. And I know, I know that He knows that I love Him. <sighs> there were so many times where we failed the Lord that the omniscience of God has comforted us when we have wept over sin, as Peter did. The omniscience of God should comfort us in so many other ways. We can get all worrisome and fretful about the plans of the wicked. Well, what are they they're planning this over here and they're planning that over there and the nations of the earth, uh, the kings of the earth, they imagine vain things and, and these world powers, they, what are they going to do? And, and I'm not saying there's not some benefit in knowing what's going on. I think there is some benefit in knowing what's going on. But understand that the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowledgeable God all sovereign God, all holy God, He's got this. And He knows about it. He knows our plots. He knows that the, the imaginations of a man are a vain thing and that the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Nothing surprises Him. He knows it all. The Lord knows everything that's going on in our world, our culture, our society. He's aware of all of it. I almost find a humor sometimes how the Lord calls us upon so many times to just talk to Him in, in the Word of God and, and, and we tell God very descriptively about what's going on in our life. I just find it funny sometimes. Like, He knows. He knows, but yet He wants us to tell Him. It's, 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 it's like when we're little kids and we kind of already know what's on our kids' minds. We know what's going on. We know what's happened. But we know it would be good for them to talk to us about it. <laughs> and we just let Him and we just listen to Him and just... Like we're hearing it for the first time. You know, that's, oh, really? Yeah. But he wants that intimate relationship with us. And we, have to, we relay things to him, but he already knows them. He knows all of our needs. He knows everything. The Lord says, for I know their works and their thoughts. The reality of God's knowledge of our hearts. And as, you know, some people say, well, God knows my heart. And, and they're actually doing wicked things. They're actually doing and standing for wicked things. And they say, you can't judge my heart. God knows my heart. I don't have to judge your heart. I'm not judging your heart. And the reality that God knows your heart and you're standing for wickedness, that should affect you. God does know your heart. And if you're for unholiness, that needs to turn you to repentance. 
But in, re- in reality of, of us as Christians, the Lord knows how deep our, our struggles are. He knows our doubts and our fears that we struggle within us in His flesh. So why should we ever, ever so foolishly seek to hide anything from God? Just come clean, come honest, right? Let's read just one, one passage here. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Just like it was so foolish for Jonah to run from God, it's so foolish just not to lay out all your troubles, all your struggles, all your doubts, all your fears. It's foolish for you just not to lay all that out before Him. He knows it. He already knows you're struggling with it. You're not going to surprise Him by saying, Lord, I'm dealing with some doubts here. You're not going to surprise Him. He already knows. How about you just talk about Him with it and get in your Word, get in the Word of God and pray about it more. And Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says this, And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. He says, listen, He already knows it all anyway, and we got an answer to Him. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's the whole context? We usually just quote verse 16, but the context is God knows it all anyway. There's nothing hidden from God. He knows it all. Everything's naked and open in the eyes of whom we must give account. And Jesus is a sympathizing high priest, yet without sin. And we need to come to Him because He does sympathize with us in our weaknesses because He was tempted in, as we were, yet without sin. So come boldly. Tell God about it. So the, the practicality of the knowledge of, of God being omniscient means that we will now should not hide anything from God, though we can't, but you get the idea. Confess it all, lay it before Him. And in doing so, you will find the forgiveness of God, you will find the comfort of God, and you will find the strength of God. We rob ourselves of so many blessings when we try to hide things from the Lord. So once again, knowing our God will make us stronger because it should cause us to come openly before Him in prayer, having nothing to hide, completely bare and open. He knows it all anyway. And our God is holy. Our God is with us. And our God knows us. If we live in reality those three things for just this week, maybe just focus on those, how much will that affect us as the people of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you to use this message today for your honor and for your glory. I pray that you've been exalted in this short period of time. Help us to have a deeper understanding of who you are, of your holiness, of your presence, and of your omniscience. Father, I pray for any lost people that are here this morning that they will realize that they cannot hide from you. They cannot hide from you. Lord, they know all about, you know all about their sin. You know all about their blackness of their heart. You know all about 
the things that maybe they hide from others. You know all about those things. Help them to see, Lord, that they don't have to hide anymore. But through Jesus Christ, they can come to you as, as He is the high priest, and they can come to you through Him, through faith in Him. And in their unholiness, they can become holy and righteous in your sight through faith in Jesus Christ. Help them, Lord, to find that freedom. Help them to find that forgiveness today. That they might be clothed in righteousness. That you might see them. Might see them in Christ today. And see them as completely holy. And help us as your people who have been redeemed by your wonderful grace to walk as well as we can in this flesh. To live a life of holiness. Knowing you're always with us. And you know everything about us. And everything about what's going on in our life. Let that strengthen us. Let that encourage us and empower us to do great things for you. Knowing our God will make us strong. Help us to know you more today. In Jesus' name, and amen. Let's all stand, please, as we sing. 210 in your red hymnals. 210 will spend...